Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. A very special exhibit opens this weekend at the St. Louis Science Center commemorating a monumental historic event and the St. Louis role in it. The event is the moon landing of July 1969. One of history's most famous lines, that's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind, words uttered by astronaut Neil Armstrong when he stepped onto the moon's surface. Fellow astronaut Buzz Aldrin followed while Michael Collins piloted the command module above them. The Science Center exhibit is titled Destination Moon, the Apollo 11 Mission. It includes artifacts and hardware from the mission and opens Saturday for a five-month run. I spoke yesterday with Christian Greer, Chief Officer for Science Education and Experience at the Science Center. Henry Brownlee manages the historical services with Boeing. I began by asking Greer where the center is and getting the exhibit ready. It's a good question. I went down this morning just to uh, try to look at the progress of everything, and just about all of our uh, major exhibit pieces are installed, um, and they're just doing some of the finishing touches, putting up the super graphics, which will be environmental treatments to make you feel like you're in space or on the moon. And I think the people will love it. It's an immersive exhibit. It's an exciting exhibit, and it's one with historical significance uh, here even in St. Louis. I understand a moon rock has just been brought back to be a yes. part of all of this. Yes. Uh, um, our collections manager, Christina Hampton, um, brought the moon rock up from Houston. So we're very happy that they that NASA was able to uh, loan it to us for people to actually see um, an artifact from the surface of the moon, which is exciting. And uh, I'm sure it's interesting getting it through airport security. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's a fun thing to be able to see and to talk about that we have here in St. Louis. Give, give us a quick overview, if you will, of what people will find uh, at the exhibit. Well, one thing that's really exciting about this exhibit is uh, in 2016, we became a Smithsonian affiliate. And uh, and we certainly wanted to try to take a full advantage of that here in St. Louis. Never thought we would be able to get the uh, Columbia uh, command module from Apollo 11. Um, but we, we did secure that exhibit. And Smithsonian allowed us for the 5,000-square-foot exhibit that, um, that they've brought here uh, to the St. Louis Science Center, they allowed us to augment the exhibit with another 8,000 square feet of uh, exhibit artifacts and uh, environmental components. And so um, it's broken up into several parts. And the entry experience is a St. Louis-themed uh, street uh, where you will see artifacts from the 1960s that you'll be able to go through. And then you'll walk into a house uh, in which we've sort of depicted a watch, uh, a launch and landing party for those that remember the, the flights to the moon. They may have remembered sitting in their living rooms watching their color television sets or black and white television sets and watching the launch. And so we'll be depicting that. We have videos, we have activities. Um, and then uh, on the back end of the exhibit, when you exit, you get a chance to test to see if you will actually have the right stuff. So there'll be a walk-in a lunar module and a sit-in command module for kids and adults alike to explore. Henry, you know, I think St. Louis should probably be flattered that uh, it was one of four cities chosen to have an exhibit like this. But St. Louis had to be one of the cities, given our, our background in, in space exploration. Yeah, you know, you would think so, uh, given St. Louis's work on the Mercury and the Gemini. Uh, not so much as Apollo, but they did support them in that way. But they didn't do a lot of work here on Apollo. But you would think that they would uh, be included uh, in the group. Uh, of course, uh, the, the moonshot could not have happened were it not for those earlier space efforts that uh, McDonnell Douglas, before Boeing acquired, uh, did most of that work. Yeah, well, you know, uh, I would be shot if uh, 
Uh, Douglas historian didn't mention that, didn't tell you that Jess McDonald aircraft, not McDonald Douglas, did the Mercury and the Gemini. But uh, McDonald did a wonderful job on Mercury and Gemini, and they really set up the whole space program for NASA. Is, is Boeing represented at all in the uh, in the uh, Science Center exhibit? Yes. Um, a major guy from uh, the community guy, uh, Jim Bafara, I believe, has talked to you guys, and Boeing is supporting the new exhibit with these guys yeah. for the Science Center. In, in what way, Christian? Well, we have uh, um, a feature where we talk about the future of space flight. So from people that have seen um, rockets uh, go off or recently launched from the Cape, or in West Texas and other places, and they've talked about going to the moon, back to the moon or to Mars, uh, they may not realize that uh, right here in St. Louis, Boeing is working on that next generation of spacecraft, the CT-100 Starliner, and uh, also a new spacesuit, which you can find online on their website that they've shown. And we actually had a chance to display it here at the Science Center, and uh, we're going to try to get it for the exhibit. So uh, what does the future of space look like? I think uh, we want to try to show people what that's going to be like. And in the exhibit, we preview the Starliner and other uh, spacecraft uh, that are featured from Boeing. You know, uh, well, let, let's talk about uh, the future a little bit later. Let's talk about the past now, get back to this uh, exhibit. What is involved in getting something like this? to St. Louis. We were talking about stuff that is invaluable historically and in, in many different ways. I mean, you just don't put it in a, in a trunk and <laughs> just call the FedEx folks, do you? Right, right. Uh, well, you know, well, so FedEx uh, did the delivery and really? they had some uh, some uh, spe- specific ways in which they got the capsule here and it had to be packed a certain way. And uh, the, the collections managers and conservation uh, folks from Smithsonian are on hand to make sure that the climate that the exhibit in Boeing Hall is going to be in is perfect uh, for this historical artifact. Um, it has to be displayed in a certain kind of lighting. Uh, we need to make sure that the capsule, uh, the floor that it's on and the ramp going in has the right specifications to handle the weight. Um, and more specifically, we want to make sure that the capsule is viewable to the public. And in many places, in many museums around the country where they have Apollo capsules or other space capsules, they are usually shrouded in a plexiglass uh, case. And what we are so excited uh, that Smithsonian was able to do for us is to have it be in the open air. You'll be walking right up next to the capsule, and you'll be able to see it without any plexiglass, without a specific case or anything, and just take it all in. And that's what's exciting. About no hands-on, though. No hands-on, right. That's why we built uh, sort of the other capsules to get inside. I, I am surprised that temperature is such an issue for uh, for something like the capsule. You, I mean, that's a pretty big piece of equipment. <laughs> that's a, it's a great question because you think, uh, you know, Reentry into the Earth's atmosphere, and you're hitting the atmosphere at uh, probably greater than 17,500 miles an hour uh, to slow down. Um, that's a pretty hot uh, spacecraft, you know, and it has a, its heat shield is obviously worn away, which you'll be able to see when you see the capsule and come to the exhibit. Um, and it's funny because I'm thinking, wow, we have so many rules for conservation, for uh, collections management, because it's a priceless artifact. But in the back of our minds, all of us are thinking, this thing went through the Earth's atmosphere, you know, coming from the moon. Uh, you know, it shouldn't it shouldn't require so much uh, support. But uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of this mm-hmm. mission, 
And so it's important to keep this priceless artifact of uh, human history as well as American history in, in good hands. It's a great educational tool. The entire exhibition, yes. it can be called a tool, I suppose. And you are encouraging a lot of visitors from kids. We are. You know, I think uh, I was thinking the other day with the history that Henry talked about with McDonnell Aircraft. Mm-hmm. And we actually have two other uh, capsules, the Mercury and Gemini capsules, which were trainers that are on loan to us from the Smithsonian that were built right here in St. Louis that are on a planetarium side. So this is kind of interesting in that we have the Mercury, Gemini, and Apollo in one building, Mm -hmm. which is exciting, or one facility. Um, But ultimately, I think when you talk to astronauts and people that have been in space, they will say that they got some of their earliest um, sort of experiences from air shows and museums um, or science centers. And the idea that um, a science center could play a role in the future of uh, space exploration and those folks that are engineers and scientists and astronauts that will be going into space. Wouldn't it be great for the first person to walk or set foot on Mars to be a kid from St. Louis? Mm. And we think this exhibit might be the thing to get them inspired to be able to do just that. Well, we have a young lady who lives in St. Louis who has signed up for one of those early Mars missions if it ever happens in the next couple of years, That's and right. she's she's willing to make that one-way trip. So who knows? It's amazing, yeah. yeah. Henry, what have you been learning and, and getting ready for Boeing's involvement in all of this about the actual mission itself? Uh, I was looking at some material yesterday and just was astounded once again at all that was involved and all that had to go right to make this thing work. Yeah, so like you said, a lot has to go right. You have to get the ship in just the right attitude and all this sort of thing, the right speed to hit certain windows to get the craft up and to the moon. Uh, you know, once it's there, you have to get in a certain position to have it land correctly, and then you only have some a um, certain amount of time to get it back up, to get it back to Earth. So it's a lot that goes on that has to go right, or either you can't do it. Can you imagine being a part of a trip like that and, and uh, having to sweat out all these things that had to go right? No, yeah. I can't imagine that. Uh, you know, the astronauts had to entrust a lot to the makers of the actual Apollo program because uh, if they didn't, they'd be sitting on top of that rocket nervous all the time. So, I mean, they had to trust the people who actually built the aircraft yeah. or the spacecraft, which they did. Who could blame them for being nervous? Kristen, <laughs> what, and, and all your preparation for this, what, what have you learned maybe that you didn't know about that mission? Well, you know, I think one of the more interesting things um, are just is just the time, the period. And for those that weren't alive during that period, it's hard to get a feel for the space race, the Cold War at that time, Mm -hmm. and the national pride that was associated with this. And then you land on the moon and you put a plaque saying that we came in peace for all of mankind, really expanded that Mm -hmm. mission to go beyond just nations, but something, a feat that was achieved by, um, by human beings. And I think about some of the great voyages, whether it's the Endurance and Shackleton's Antarctic Adventure or the, the, the Nina in the Columbus Voyages or other ships that um, you mark as, as great um, uh, travels from one place to the next. This capsule that we have here, the Columbia um, Command Module, is such a small vessel to travel so far, mm-hmm. a quarter of a million miles to another, you know, one way to another um, you know, uh, heavenly body, an object in space, our closest neighbor in space, the moon, and come back safely 
is amazing um, because it's, you know you could hardly really even call it a ship. <laughs> it's really how how big? What are the dimensions like for the for the capsule and for the lander? You know, that's a good question. You know, as you see the capsule here, we we have models in front. Yeah, of we us. have model. Yeah, I should say yeah. when you see, <laughs> um, we have models here that represent um, sort of the three major modules: the command module, which is sort of the conical shape that you see on top of the Saturn V rocket. That's the vehicle that will actually be on display. The service module, which is the the vehicle that uh, propelled them to the moon and back. And then the lunar lander, or the LEM, which people are more, most familiar with. And, I, and the actual capsule is probably about eight or nine feet tall, um, but it's on casters and a ring that mm-hmm. supports its space. Um, and then I believe the lunar module is about 30 feet uh, up, and so um, with, with the legs full ex- fully extended. Um, and you wouldn't imagine that you would have a lot of room in these spaces. But when you get into space and you get into weightlessness, you're not confined to the floor mm-hmm. or to your seats. You can float around. You can move underneath places. And so what, what might be the equivalent of the space that you would find in an SUV uh, in weightlessness, it, it doubles and triples sort of the feel of that space. You've got all the now square can, footage. Yeah, you can move yeah. around in the ceiling mm-hmm. and go into a corner and – and feel uh, relatively comfortable there. Um, but sleeping on the moon was a little bit challenging. Um, it takes time for the astronauts to accustom, get accustomed to weightlessness. Um, but they even remarked on later flights that they were excited when they finally were landing on the moon to be back in a, in a G field or a gravitational field, Only mm-hmm. even though it's only one-sixth that of Earth on the moon. The lander was uh, nicknamed the Eagle. Neil Armstrong said yes. the eagle has landed. The very, eagle has very landed. Famously. Right. You have among the artifacts that you have uh, – will have on display is also a survival kit. I was kind of surprised right. to see that. <laughs> they, had, they had two days to survive if they landed in the wrong place coming back. Well, that's a, that's a great uh, thing to bring up because for those that saw the movie Hidden Figures um, where the mathematicians were working on the, the trajectory – yeah. yeah. The, uh, of the trajectory of the uh, lander for John Glenn's flight, which is one of the many of the other flights, but that was the one that was uh, really highlighted in the film. Um, it's possible if the reentry wasn't at the right uh, angle or attitude, as Henry mentioned, that you could end up somewhere else. And um, you know, given that you know you've got seventy eight percent or or so of the world of the Earth's surface is covered by water. They probably had a good chance of landing in water, but in case they didn't and they landed um, in a foreign country or a place where uh, maybe they weren't welcome or maybe it would take time for helicopters and other rescue vehicles to get there, they needed a survival kit. So we'll have the survival kit on display. It has a machete. It has food. It has uh, sunglasses, lots of things, medical kits, things that you might think you would need. Uh, the ult- uh, the ultimate preppers kit, I guess, for <laughs> for a moon uh, moon landing vehicle. Henry, you seem kind of tickled by that. I mean, if you land, if you don't land on water and you land on land, you know that machete. That's a good thing to have, but you know I'd rather have a gun or something like that <laughs> because you said it was in the middle of the Cold War, right? So you'd be on enemy land someplace. But I mean, I'm sure they did the best they could do. I mean, that was good to have, you know. Yeah. Right. And and perhaps the machete was used to fight against the jungle if you, right. you know, to, jungle, get, right. to make a clearing or something for a helicopter to land to rescue you or yeah. you know, so those kinds of things I think are important and what's interesting is the engineers have thought of so many different things, so many possibilities mm-hmm. and you see it depicted in Apollo 13 yeah. uh when the they movie. didn't yeah, they yeah. to come back mm-hmm. and they couldn't land. How do you get um three people home? Is there any 
interactive elements to the uh, to the display? Yes, one of the interactive elements is uh, a way to talk back to the different capsules. So we have a mission control space, huh. we have the lunar module, and we have the command module. You can actually push a button and say, you know, um, Eagle, this is Houston. You know, what's your attitude? Uh, what you know, Where are you located? Mm-hmm. When are you going to get out and explore the moon? And so we think... Uh, Kids and adults alike will will be talking back and forth to different capsules, and that'll be fun. And we also uh, have a way to to test to see whether you have the right stuff. And we worked with uh, the Clark Planetarium in Utah to help build us some um, some video simulations of a lunar lander. Hmm. So you'll get a chance to try that out and see if you could land on the moon like Neil Armstrong did. You know, you two are uh, too young to remember the moon landing, but I'm not. And the two things that come to my mind beyond the sensational aspect of landing a man on the moon was Walter Cronkite Mm -hmm. of uh, CBS became very, very emotional when uh, when the men landed on the moon. The only other time he got emotional on the air was when the Kennedy assassination. That's right. And speaking of of Kennedy, uh, the moon landing kind of deflected uh, the attention that the Chappaquiddick incident involving Ted Kennedy, which is getting a lot of publicity Mm -hmm. now because of the movie, uh, that had happened two days before the moon landing. So that (laughs) left page one (laughs) as a result of all of this. Yeah, you know, uh, Cronkite was a rock, you know, and uh, in terms of being a media icon. And uh, I can remember watching just recently the video of that broadcast of which we feature that in in the actual exhibit, um, he and Wally Shira, I think another one yes. of the Mercury astronauts, yes. um, was uh, w- were there in the studio when it went down, and you could see him just kind of like wipe his brow, take his glasses take his off, glasses. and say, whoa, we're, you know, we're home, I mm-hmm. think is what he said. And, it, and it's interesting mm-hmm. just to think about that. Um, do we have a home in space? And to what extent did these missions help us establish that as a perhaps an interplanetary species at some point. As our time winds down, let me go back to Henry here and and go back to the future that we mentioned a little while ago. Uh, Give us some sense of what Boeing is working on right now for the future. Well, just quickly, uh, Boeing is involved in what's called the uh, Space Launch System. Mm -hmm. That is the missile that will take the Orion and any other capsules either to Mars or to the moon. So Boeing is working on that. It's not here in St. Louis, but... uh, they are working on that. Uh, Boeing has also made a couple of uh, test capsules for the CS-100, which is Boeing's capsule that's supposed to go back and forth to the moon. It's crew's best launcher, and uh, Boeing is working on that. Again, they did the uh, the uh, the trainers here in St. Louis, but uh, the capsule will be built elsewhere. I think it's in uh, Huntington Beach in California right now. Hmm. But uh, those are the two main things that Boeing is working on right now. And some other things, which I, obviously I can't mention, but they're working on those right now to get uh, Americans back into space. So no, nothing going on here in St. Louis per se. It's all oh, happening the out trainers, of trainers, which yeah. they did, and they're done with those now. Uh, no, not that I know of. A lot of people, I think, are under the impression that America's kind of gotten out of the space uh, business, but that's not the case. I don't think that's the case. Yeah. Not for Boeing. And, Kristen, as you say, maybe this will inspire some uh, some young people in St. Louis to want to uh, continue with whatever program is left. I, I hope so. And, um, you know, we need a vision uh, for these kinds of things It's because these are projects that 
sometimes go 10 or 20 years, you know, to what is the foundation that is needed to explore? What questions do we have about the composition of the surface of planets? Is there life out there in our solar Mm -hmm. system? And these are things that I think this next generation of sort of digital natives, I guess, uh, and uh, kids that are comfortable with computers and thinking about out of the box through design thinking, uh, they're going to take us to the future. We're excited to be able to have them here in St. Louis as a town with a lot of innovation, and, and perhaps they can lead the way. Thanks to Christian Greer from the Science Center and Henry Brownlee from Boeing. Destination Moon, the Apollo 11 mission, opens Saturday at the Science Center and runs through early September. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs are available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Thank you for listening. I'm Don Marsh.